Welcome to Relation Fix, the podcast dedicated to creating healthy, happy, and passionate connections with our loved ones. I'm Shana Dubay, your host. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Relation Fix. Today's episode is going to be very interesting because we're actually talking about a different type of relationship than the ones that we've explored so far. This is the world of work. Most people work full-time jobs in America. We spend a lot of time together and we often form really deep connections with the people we work with. And we don't always get to choose who we're forced into proximity with in that space. So it can be interesting. The relationship that we have with our coworkers and our employers can really make or break our experience with our jobs. As usual, come and join us every Monday, like, comment, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with people who you think would enjoy this content or would benefit from it. Because the dynamics and work are so important, I have some special guests today. The first returning to the show is my partner, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi. We actually met at work and we spent a lot of years on a psych unit together, which will bond anyone. And my second guest is one of my favorite coworkers of all time, Josh Gravelblaney. Welcome, Josh. Hello. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> so we all actually work together in a small community hospital in Massachusetts, not Boston, for all of you <laughs> out there. And we all worked as mental health counselors, although I had a couple of other roles on the unit, but we all worked mostly as mental health counselors. And I think we worked pretty hard, but we had a lot of fun. So let's dig in a little bit into the world of coworkers and work. So Josh, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Obviously, I know a little bit about you, both from our time as coworkers, but also as friends. Mm -hmm. We spent, you know, a couple winters watching some National Influence Christmas <laughs> Vacation. But for our listeners, give us some background on you. How did you grow up? What's your education? And maybe some snippets about how you got into the mental health world. So I grew up in, I'd say, a probably an upper middle class uh, family north of Boston in Burlington. Okay. And, and that is in Massachusetts? Burlington, Massachusetts, yes. Everybody, does everybody say Vermont? <laughs> yeah, yes. Or Burlington, the Vermont. Is it near the coat factory? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. funny. I, I feel like I've always sort of gravitated towards this field of wanting to be in some sort of service or or helping someone. Do you think that stems from your childhood or things that you went through? Were those family values of sort of contribution or helping out? When I was young, I was very inspired by the, the show on TV, uh, Rescue 911. Oh. And I originally wanted to be... I don't be, think I ever watched that. Yeah. I originally wanted to be a paramedic. Oh, and at that that's point, a hard job. It is a hard job. It's a very <laughs> difficult job. And I remember when I was in high school and I think my guidance counselor, you know, was telling me more about the job and how much you get paid versus how much you have to do and, and it, or, or what you have to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going into situations where you don't know what's going on, you know, violence and stuff like that. And yeah. The world of first responders is a hard one mm -hmm. for sure. When I got into college. Where'd you I, go to college? Well, I started out three years. I went to University of New England in Biddeford, Maine. Okay. And I, I didn't Ooh, have... Ooh, Melissa, I, you're stomping ground. Right? Yeah. So I didn't have a major when I first started there. And then I went into sports medicine and that didn't work out. And I, somebody mentioned to me I should try teaching. One summer, 
I was working at a summer camp where it, it, it was actually a paid internship where I met my now wife, Aww, Nicole. that's cute. And she happened to live in Westfield. Oh. Some people think that because she lived in Westfield that I transferred to Westfield <laughs> State. On no. <laughs> I transferred to Westfield State because of the program that they They have a really, really yes. good teaching program. It there. just happened that actually she wasn't even living at home at the time. She was living in Worcester. There was one summer when I first moved here to Westfield that after I transferred here that her parents, as I was getting adjusted, her parents were kind enough to let me live with them for the summer before Aww. I moved into Westfield State. And I had mm -hmm. a, another job as an archery instructor. <laughs> for You know what? You're starting to sound like me, Josh. Yeah. Like a lot of different <laughs> jobs. Yes, yeah. <laughs> for, for Camp Weber here in West Springfield, actually. Oh, I know so, Camp Weber. Yeah. Okay. That was quite the interesting, uh, interesting I bet. Summer, it sounds interesting. that was fun. So um, how did you make the jump to mental health from hmm. archery <laughs> So or teaching, really? Things didn't work out with teaching. I had gotten through all the way through my student teaching. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I had a part-time job. It was like an outreach job for mentally challenged adults. And at the time, Nicole was doing some, she is a social worker. Okay. And yep. she was doing an internship at, I think it was like the key program or something like that in, in Worcester. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I saw what she was doing and that kind of interested me. In college, at least in the state of Massachusetts, you had to get, have a dual major. Part of my major was education and the other part was psychology. And you, you know. took a liking to it. I took a liking to it. After college, after I finally graduated, I decided to you know, look for jobs in the mental health field. My first job was working at a group home in, uh, for ServiceNet in Northampton. Oh, group homes are hard. Yeah. I started out as a counselor and then worked my way up to site manager. There were times where I'd get phone calls in the middle of the night. Hey, nobody left the coffee out. Can you come in and, you know, oh my gosh. bring the coffee? You're like, no. <laughs> or we had one patient or a client who had intermittent explosive disorder. Oh, that's... And borderline personality disorder. And oh. she, she was very difficult. And it's definitely hard. It was quite the learning experience with her. And after you left there, that's when you went to That's when Noble? I went to Noble. Mm -hmm. and, and you met us. I did. Yes, I was there for 16 years. I met you guys, what, like about well, Melissa right yeah. away. Yeah, um, Melissa was already there, yeah. right? And what you were. I started in 10 years. 2010. Yeah. And now what are you doing? Because obviously you're not at Noble anymore. So what are you doing now? No, well, for the past three years, uh, after I left Noble, I worked at Viber Hospital in Springfield, mm -hmm. which is a long term mental health facility, which means that there's patients there that live there for six months to we, we have one who's with us now. She's been there for seven years. Wow. Yeah. So we just recently changed. Uh, we moved to the new mental health facility, Valley Springs in Holyoke. So, so similar work, but different yeah, titles. It, they like same, to change the same, titles. Same work, same job, mm -hmm. same coworkers that I'm working with. It's just a different title. Yeah. And so we're doing, I'm in the rehab department and we basically run therapeutic groups or occupational therapy type groups. That's awesome. Um, all day long. Yeah. So it feels almost like a mix between like a partial hospitalization program and inpatient psych because you're doing groups and things like that. Yes. Yeah. At least my role is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Melissa. Yes. How did you end up in the mental health world? It was by accident. I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am. Um, I uh, right out of high school, I took a job in a shirt factory and I discovered probably after the first three weeks that 
factory work isn't for me. <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. and I had mm -hmm. crappy SAT scores. So I decided the first university that accepted me, I would go. So I ended up at the University of Presque Isle. I had no idea what I wanted to be. I and really, that's in very northern Maine. Very yes. northern Maine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I really wasn't all that book smart. My first semester, I got a 1.7, I think. But I was batting around different things like being a band conductor and oh. a philosophy teacher, that kind of stuff. So I started out uh, as liberal arts. And mm -hmm. there was a girl. There's always a girl. There was a girl. Um <laughs> Isn't there, Josh? There's mm -hmm. always a girl. There's always a girl. Josh had a girl, That's too. Happened, yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, she was in a psych class I had to take. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I was going to be a psych major. And that's how I ended up and, and with my psych degree. I knew I needed to have a job when I got out of college because this girl had one more year of college. And we didn't study, we didn't study clinical psychology. We were in like a behavioral science class. I know how to run rats through mazes and that kind of thing. I went for a job on a... IPU. I had no idea what that meant. I, I interviewed and she hired me. What does it mean? Right? Inpatient unit. <laughs> IPU yes. psychiatry. And so she hired me on the spot and she walked me onto the unit and she had to pull a key out. And I stepped on the unit and the first thing I saw was a, a manic woman with a sequin um, beret on. And I was like, oh, this is my job. <laughs> I'm working on a psychiatric unit. And I think, I think part of the reason I stayed, I stayed because I liked it, but it was a genderless job. And, mm -hmm. and that was really appealing to me to be that. And I, I worked there for nine years and then I followed a girl down to <laughs> Massachusetts. And she admits it, Josh. I'm just saying. <laughs> down to Massachusetts. I, and I, I worked in the jail for a bit and then I worked for a long time at, at the area at hospital, yeah. at Noble Hospital. I started working there in 1999. This is where I met Josh and I met Shana and I, I trained both of you. Mm -hmm. Yes, you did. Yes. Yeah. yes. And since then, the, the hospital, the unit that we worked on is closing. So I, I jumped ship and went over to Bay State. I've been there for a couple of years and it, it's an okay job. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing beats the camaraderie that we had oh. right, that second shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we all, I think, typically work off shift. I know, Josh, you're on first shift now, but there is something about off shifts that's very a different, very different color. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be a different type of person to work an off shift. And we had a lot of fun. We have a lot of stories and we worked hard, but we could definitely manage a milieu like nobody's mm -hmm. business. I think we complemented each other very well. Yes. And we each had a specific set of skills mm. like Liam Neeson, but like three of us. <laughs> yeah, it was good times. In the US, I think when we talk about work, typically people work a lot. Productivity is a big thing, always being busy. So Josh, how do you maintain work-life balance? Do you feel like you bring work home a lot? Is that something that impacts your home life and your home relationships? That's one thing I think from the, the get-go that I decided internally that I did not want to do. I did not want to bring yes. work life home. Yes. Not to say that there's not times where where I will, you know, Nicole will ask me, oh, how was your day? And then I'll go on a rant, you know, about... <laughs> 
about what happened because yes. you need that you need that stress relief at that at that moment. Yes. But I believe there has to be a, a fine line between work life and home life. So you feel like you made a conscious decision that that was going to be how it was. Yes. So you set that boundary yes. for yourself. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a really good thing, and mm-hmm. many people don't do that. And I think there's a lot of pressure to be productive. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how typically things run a lot in this country. And so I think people probably need to have a little bit more boundaries like the one that you set. Melissa, do you feel like it's the same for you that you maintain a good work-life balance? Or do you feel like you, you know, bring home that energy or stress from work? My, my philosophy has always been leave it at the door. Mm-hmm. So when I come into work, I try to drop all my personal baggage off and mm. slip into my mental health counselor role and, and work. And when I leave, I just leave my work at work. Sometimes it bleeds through. And, you know, when that happens, I, I might talk to a coworker uh, and bounce it off them what happened and uh, what I'm bringing home with me. And I, I, I find that typically, like, settles me. And then I can go back to my usual routine. I think one of the things that I notice having worked with you, been in a workspace, but also in a personal space with you, is that oftentimes you need that half an hour to an hour, like reset time afterwards, mm-hmm. just for decompression. Yep. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't take that. They leave from work and just go right, rush right into their life. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I spend a lot of time with my clients talking about giving yourself that space, giving yourself that like self-care time. And even sometimes if it's just five minutes, just allowing yourself to kind of take a couple of deep breaths But especially with children or families and expectations waiting for you at home, sometimes it's really hard to kind of have that balance. Do you find that if you don't have that space, that it's harder for you to leave it at the door? I don't talk about it when I get out, but I think if it's following me, I tend to be really quiet and people, you will point that out, that I'm being quiet. And then I'll usually go take that time that that you were just talking about to, Mm -hmm. to settle. Yeah. And then move back into my life. Hmm. Most people that work in hospitals don't take their 15-minute break. And I like to take my 15-minute break because it, it was 15 minutes where you could open a book or do something, especially on a hard night, change, change your uh, focus and your frame, and then step back onto the unit and, and feel rejuvenated. I think, I think, too, one of the other things I see from a lot of people is because so many people work so much. And I know we both, we have all worked with people who work like 80 hours a week, or they're picking up like all these extra shifts and things like that. It's like your brain gets tired. Mm, You get tired of doing the same thing. Your ability to perform your job really decreases if you don't have those breaks. And some people just don't take them. And so you hear it here, folks, take your breaks at work. It's really important to have that space in order to, to do what we do. And I don't work inpatient anymore, but when we did, it's an acute inpatient psychiatric unit for a reason, because people are acute. You're there and it's a highly stressful environment, even though we get used to it and you kind of just like, Hey, this is what we do kind of thing. It, I always found it interesting when other people would come on the unit and be like, you work here? Like, right. how does yeah. that happen? Or oh my God. You're explaining it to other people who have no idea yeah. what the mental health field is <laughs> yes. like. It's like, wow, you, you deal with that on a daily basis and that's normal? Yeah. Like, yes. I'm you talking know. to my parents every time I tell them what, about what happened at work or if they ask, it's like, <laughs> I try not to have a conversation with them about it exactly. because they, they don't get it. But it's mm-hmm. like, 
you're going to get your nose broke again today. Or, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. It's not and, for everyone. Right. I, I think we could safely say that. I, I think on nights where it was especially hard, we would all get together after work and yes, go do that, something I, that like completely. I missed that. Decompressed oh, that us. Was so fun. Yeah. yeah. Many a night at the tavern or wings, yes. Yes. having some nachos and some beer. <laughs> and if you're talking about the nutsy things that happened that <laughs> yeah. night. And if you're too broke, you could just stay in the parking lot. <laughs> and talk and talk for hours. <laughs> we we had many a long talk after work, yeah. mm-hmm. which was fun. What are what do you think are the main differences that you've found in relationships with people you have at work versus people you have outside of work? There's a lot of crossover, I feel like, but but what do you feel like your differences are? Either one of you, or both of you can I answer. feel like with you guys or my coworkers that I have now, I'm almost more sarcastic, more more, <laughs> more joking, you know, yeah. you know, like the, the dad jokes all the time, like versus with my family, they're not, you know, they're not really into that. It is interesting to see how different parts of our personalities come out in different situations. And certainly we have interesting dynamics with people at work, but I know like with us, working on the unit, the three of us, like we laughed about things all the time. And it was kind of like we had constant inside jokes yes. about things, but it is really interesting to see the different pieces of our personalities that can come out in that space. Do you feel like crossover in any of these areas are difficult? So like Melissa, you know, being at work with me and also being in a relationship oh, that with was me, hard. Yes. you know, how does that work? And Josh, you necessarily work with right. Nicole in that same type of way, but have, having friendships with people, you know, outside of work and then having to go to work. That was a weird transition. Think, that was challenging for you. I think you and I did a really good job of not letting our relationship spill over onto the unit. I know after I got done and I moved over to my other job, there was a person there that worked with both of us and she had no idea we were in a relationship. And when I said that, she said to me, shut up. And I was thinking to myself that we must have done a really good job. Right. And you're such an emotional person. And I, th- I think you did a really good job of reining that in where we were concerned. <laughs> Keep it contained. <laughs> yes. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing things. I think it's it can be challenging in general. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a little bit of a difference. It's so funny. We were just talking about this earlier today where... If you go to work and you meet people at work and you become friends, it's an easier dynamic sometimes, I think, mm-hmm. than if you're friends first yes. and then that person yes. comes into your workspace. Mm-hmm. So I've had both things happen and it definitely is a very different experience when your friend sees you in a workspace mm. and it doesn't always mesh well. That's why. So I've had a few people at where I work now say, well, why don't you ask, she's a, your wife's a social worker. Why don't you ask her if she wants <laughs> to come work here? So, you know, I think I love my wife and it would be great mm-hmm. to work with her. I just don't know how that dynamic would, would work out. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't be the same person. No, you can't. No, you can't. Right. And I also think that there's something nice about the boundary of it. Yeah. And I know for us, when when you left the unit and I was still there, Melissa, that I, I kind of feel like I sort of stepped into my own space because you were such a pillar 
there for such a long time and Josh had left even before that. Yeah. So I was like, I felt like I was like last man standing. <laughs> yes, you were. In a, in a lot of ways where like I was the bridge between what we were and what I was trying to like morph into. Mm -hmm. And it caused a lot of stress in a lot of ways, but it also allowed me to sort of step up into my own and like really flex my muscles in a leadership way that I didn't have as much space for. Mm -hmm. But in, a, in our personal relationship space, I think what ended up happening for me was at the end of the day, I didn't know what happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> you could come home and be like, this is what happened today. Or I'd be like, guess what happened on the unit today? And we didn't know, mm -hmm. which was weird, <laughs> I think. Yes. But there is something kind of nice about that separation where you now kind of come together and share that space. And you don't always know all the players and you mm -hmm. don't always yeah. have judgments because sometimes you might like a coworker and your partner doesn't. And now you're like, I want to bitch about this person <laughs> and I can't because they're, you know what I mean? It creates, it's, it, there's a lot of interesting dynamics with that. I've said many times, and I really believe that this is true, that all of our relationships really begin with kind of how we feel about ourselves how do you think your feelings about yourself, like your beliefs, your values, your needs, impact the relationships that you have at work? I always feel that if you don't have a, a good positive image about yourself, mm -hmm. everyone else can pick up on that. Oh, yeah. Explain more about what you mean by that. Like, um, how does that show up for you? If I'm ruminating on something or have negative thoughts about something, mm -hmm that I, I did or something or that affects my confidence. Yes. And patients can see that. Mm -hmm. Other coworkers can see that. And one of the things that I think was really important, especially on a tough unit, they need to feel like the staff is a space of leadership and that we have control over what's going on. So if you don't feel confident mm -hmm. in yourself or if you're in a tough space internally and you bring that onto the unit with you, it's like energetically people understand and, and things can go to pot. Now, thankfully, we usually have a team. So even if you're not feeling the greatest that day, we have other people to step up. And if you have a good team, a go, good team members, then it works out well and it's not as bad. But I, I definitely find that to be true. I know for myself, one of the things I ran into a lot at work was I struggle with the need for significance a lot. That was always a thing for me. And for anyone who didn't listen to it, go back and listen to our needs episode. That one was really interesting. Talks a lot about that, but I very much ran into that space a lot at work and it seriously impacted my work relationships because I was like, I need to be seen as important. I'm the only pillar left. Why aren't you treating me with more respect? Why aren't you paying attention to the things that I'm doing? This is the right way to do it. Don't you know who I trained with? Like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like I got very much into that space. And so when I walked on that unit, because that's how I met people, I started to have really not great relationships with people and it certainly impacted it. And that was like, I need to feel like I'm significant. I earned this space. You should respect me. And that's how I walked on. And it took a couple of things to kind of open my eyes and recognize that I can't, can't come on with that type of thing, but Certainly that relationship with myself feeling insignificant or not feeling like I was good enough in some way, which is all about my internal space, 
definitely impacted my ability to talk to other people and how I communicate with my coworkers. I think uh, interpersonal effectiveness, not to pull one of those DBT things out of my <laughs> No, I love it. But I, I love that with working at Viber that I've been able to you know, learn more about DBT. One of the biggest things that's hit me it personally it, while I'm learning about it is interpersonal effectiveness. As I'm teaching that to the patients, I'm realizing, oh, this will benefit me and how I communicate with other people. Totally. Yeah. Not I think just, about that not every just time. professionally, <laughs> but talking with my wife. I can see that that you're angry, but this is how I feel about it too, you know? Yeah. It's a valid. Validation. Yeah. That's yeah. a huge DBT thing. Mm -hmm. Love it. But I think, I, I really think that I spend a lot of time kind of thinking about that. I'll be talking to clients and going, oh my God, I feel like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> like, yeah. like I could yeah. be having this on my own yeah. conversation or like I had just had like a little bickering match with Melissa and I'm having this conversation with my client going, Oh, these are probably skills I could have used. Hmm. That might, maybe I'll try that next time or I'll come out afterwards and go, I think I've had a thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I want to reflect back on that. So it's really interesting kind of looking at interpersonal connection like that. I, I'd like to learn more about that. Maybe you should, maybe we need to have a DBT we session. Could. We could. That would be fun. Yeah. I'm not well versed in DBT. Yeah. I, I don't know the terms. I'm sure we use it. I just don't know. <laughs> Actually, Sandy would say we were doing DBT before it got named DBT. In a book yes. yes. Yeah. Do you guys remember when we went to Compassionate Connections? Yes. They made us do that seminar yes. through Bay State. And I don't remember that much about it. But what I do remember is that there was this one thing when they said, you form intimate connections and relationships with our coworkers. Yes. Because we often spend more time with them than mm -hmm. we do with even our own families. Yes. And I was like, wow, that's really true. In your opinion, what are some of the most important traits that you have found in a really good coworker well, or people that you just have really connected well with in, in a workspace? People that help me feel safe, smart. They know how to manage the situations around them, mm -hmm. patients and staff. And we had talked about honesty, somebody that you can trust, somebody who's honest. For me, it's somebody that can come in and help me be a pillar and not be problematic about it, not like argue, not try to take me in a different direction when I've started to go in a different direction, but just sort of go with it and make the situation better, better, mm -hmm. not just better for the patient, but better for both of us, better for my coworkers. Mm -hmm. Josh, what about for you? I think... A lot of it comes down to respect, mm. self-respect, yes, like respect for your coworkers, respect for your job, respect for your clients. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you don't have much. Yeah. You, you can't connect. You, yeah. it's, it be, quickly becomes a, what's the term, like a poisonous mm -hmm. work environment. Yeah. I know for me, those, both of those things are really important as well for me, but I, I really think trust Mm -hmm. is yes. a huge yeah. piece for me. And that comes from a space of compassion and awareness. So it's not even that we always have to agree on everything because God knows we didn't always agree. But I think that there's this space of we're here to treat each other well. And I know I can count on you. Mm -hmm. I know that you mm -hmm. have my back. I know that I'm if I'm out there, I can count on you to back me up. 
I can count on you to move me out of there if I'm doing mm -hmm. a shit job. Yes, yes. I can count on you to help de-escalate a situation that that's difficult, especially, you know, we talked a little bit about working off shifts, but you only have your team on an off shift and we're often outnumbered, you know, mm -hmm. four or five to one as far as patients. It makes it sound like it's a jail or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean that, but, but you don't have all this ancillary staff or extra people to Especially jump yeah, in second shift mm -hmm. or yeah, or have yeah. eyes on. So if you're working second or third shift, yeah. your team is such an important piece. And that's why for me, trust is, is really important. If I know somebody is not that capable or they're not going to deescalate in a proper way, I know for me, I have a really hard time with that. Mm -hmm. And then I tend to overcompensate well, where I try to jump in too much. I won't go into specific details, but I think confidence is a huge thing as well. Oh, very and much I so. I remember a few times where we had a coworker who didn't have the confidence in a situation, in a particular situation came up and where we were doing restraints or whatnot, and they, boom. Ran off the yes. unit. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, like, you can't trust that right. kind of coworker. Right. And I think for the most part, it's not a super dangerous job, but it can have very dangerous moments. There are times where it can be very life and death. And so any, any type of job where there's potential for danger or you really have to trust mm -hmm. your people and it, it takes a lot. There's a lot of dynamics, but that trust piece for me is, is really huge. Mm -hmm. How about difficult traits? Things that are not so good. We talked a little bit about mm -hmm. not having confidence. So don't mm -hmm. run off the unit yeah. <laughs> or restraining someone. Please don't do that for anyone working in psych. Yes. <laughs> I, I think it's hard when you have a coworker that's toxic. Toxic in what way? Like not doing their work, but spending a lot of time complaining about people around them. Yes. And not engaging in that with the person and trying to find a way to say, I'm not going to engage this with you in a diplomatic way so that they're not angry at you and you become part of the toxic rant, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Josh, what about I feel you? sometimes when sometimes you have, you see it more amongst nurses, I think, but there's sort of like a hierarchy mm -hmm. and they kind of think that, oh, well, I've been here longer than you. I know more than you. And they yes. sort of shut you down and they, yes. you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're not looking at your, you're just the little person on the totem pole. And the health counselor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know that, I think that kind of comes back, it mirrors that thing you were saying about respect. Yes. Is, you know, we are worth our weight in gold. Good mental health counselors are really worth their weight in gold. It's like a secretary. You think, oh, it's just a secretary, but a good secretary is worth their weight in gold. They make your job so much easier and having people who are able to like recognize those skills. But when you feel kind of cut off at the ankles, mm -hmm. that's really hard. For me, one of the most difficult things I dealt with around coworkers were people where you didn't know who they were going to be when they showed up. Mm -hmm. yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. Like where yes. you're walking on eggshells. Like, are they going to be nice to mm -hmm. me today? Are they going to be passive aggressive? Are they going to be aggressive aggressive? You don't even know really how they're going to show up. And you're like, I don't know how to be. Like, I don't, I, for me, that is, that's always something I try really hard to kind of mesh well with as many people as I can, unless mm -hmm. you're doing something that I think is ethically wrong. And then I don't care about meshing with you, <laughs> which I think yeah. 
think a lot of people have seen that side of me, uh-huh. like do the right thing. Yeah, definitely kind of like, like you said, like walking on eggshells, you don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. lucky now where, where the group of people that I work with, we all mesh to, together really well, kind of mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. way we did. There's sometimes where you have that one person that could sort of tip the balance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, there was one particular occasion where I got so tired of this person saying negative things and making passive aggressive comments that I just took a deep breath and I said, I need to talk to you in the back. And I, I aired my grievances and the person said, well, I suppose, I suppose, you know, you're thinking about the things that I'm doing wrong. And I said to her, no, I'm not talking about you. We're talking about me and my job <laughs> performance. Yes. And I respect your opinion and, and, I wish you would just pull me aside and just say, I think you could do this better mm-hmm. by doing this, that, and the other thing mm-hmm. and staying on that. And again, when somebody says to you in that argument, I suppose you want to talk about me. One of my favorite things to say is something like we're talking about this. If you want, we can talk about that later. But right now, again, that we're just talking about my job performance, not about you and, and your quirks at work. Yeah. So I know that none of us would ever have any trouble with a coworker. <laughs> But if you ever no. did have conflict yeah. in, in this imaginary scenario, mm-hmm. how do you think you would resolve it? Or what are some of the best ways that you've seen mm. people deal with conflict in the workplace? My philosophy is if you have a problem with me, please come to me and talk to me about it. Yeah, mm. definitely. I don't know if everyone always sees me that way. I assume that they do or that I'm open to that. Mm-hmm. In order to get respect, you have to give respect. I also think, you know... Conflict is a hard thing no matter where you are. And so even if you're comfortable with someone, even if you like someone, sometimes it's hard to say I'm having trouble with this thing. You know, interpersonal relationships and interpersonal communication is something that you feel really strongly about. Josh, what are some of the best techniques that you've seen to talk about things in really difficult situations Mm -hmm. where you have to talk about someone's behavior that or something you had a hard time with? I can say that I've seen certain coworkers, you know, say things to patients that they didn't realize that were triggering. Mm, you yes. know, so in learning this skill, I've been able to go up to people and say, hey, you know, I work with somebody who is very highly known within the DBT field. Mm-hmm. And she, she and I co-facilitate the DBT group and, you know, she had an, an interaction with a patient that she didn't, that really upset a patient, mm. she can kind of her communication style is is kind of kind of more rough, direct, direct sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she didn't realize that she had done that, mm-hmm. and so I had to go back and say to her, you know, I'm intimidated because of you know she's she's this big person in in DBT, and you have to go and say, oh, oh you're, isn't it your the communication style? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But what I did was I said, you know. I could see that what what you were trying to do with this patient was really meant to be helpful, mm-hmm. but somewhere down the line or somewhere in that that interaction, the patient misunderstood or mm-hmm. didn't didn't understand what you were saying. Yeah. They became upset. So, is there some way that you could go back and and talk with this person, or you know, I I think mm-hmm. that they would think they would benefit benefit from, from that. that. Yeah, I I definitely. I think we put labels on people a lot and we really look at people and we've kind of, once we've decided who they are, 
we tend to react to them according to their label. So I think for myself, when I think about conflict, what I try to do, which, you know, I'm human too, <laughs> in case anyone was wondering, <laughs> I try really hard to come from a place that they always meant good. They always meant well. I come from a place of compassion and that they're, they are trying to be as genuine or just trying to meet their needs in the best way possible. It's really hard, especially when you have an issue with somebody who's senior to you. I know uh, one of our charge nurses who I have like the utmost respect for, you know, we had a couple interactions that were really difficult over the course of the time that I was there. And it was really hard to move into that space and say, I had a lot of trouble with this. This was something that was really hard for me. And I also know that a lot of times starting with what, how you feel about it is, is good. And also I think acknowledging, I know that you didn't mean it this way. Mm -hmm. I know that you had my best interests in mind. Mm -hmm. I know that you had the patient's best interests in mind. There, maybe there are some things I don't understand about why you chose to do this. What, what didn't I see or what, what, what am I missing? Cause this, it felt like this on my end. And that was really hard for me. And I, I, you mean a lot to me, especially like in that instance where she was really like a mentor in so many ways. Like I could say like, you mean a lot to me and I never want there to be anything in between us where we don't have that good of a relationship. So can you explain to me your rationale for why you did this thing? And I, I think this is a skill. I think these are skills that we can learn and how to talk to people. I think some people naturally have it a little bit easier than others, but I certainly think it can be a skill. Mm -hmm. uh, Melissa, how do you feel like you resolve conflict with people at work? I'm very direct with people. As I said, a coworker that I asked to speak with in the back room and told her that I respected her views on me and my work performance. I was rewarded with that conversation by the person coming up later and saying, when you see me doing that, can you tell me in real time that that's happening? And mm -hmm. for me, that was like a, it was like a head swelling moment. Like, wow, you know, you respect me enough to, to have me point out your job performance. I thought that was like a big, big wow. We work with, we work with some toxic people that <laughs> talking to them about what's going on is not going to work. They're just not going to be able to see that you're being, you're, you're trying to be like open-minded and have a discussion about them. They see it as you attacking them, regardless of how you approach it. So you feel like there's definitely some instances where you're not necessarily going to be able to resolve yeah. the conflict in a way that brings you guys closer. So mm -hmm. if that does, I think that's also true. I, I definitely, there are just some people that you just don't click with, even though you try. So what do you Except do mm -hmm. in the, yes, that never happens with Josh. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> Which, no, it does. and it's you know true. what, it's everybody true. thinks we're joking, but we're not really We're not joking. joking. <laughs> that's really I true. I don't know what it is. I wish I, I wish I had a you know, secret that I could share, but you're just, there is no it's secret just to it. you. It's, you're yeah. you're just that person. Yeah. And which is why we love you so much mm -hmm. for sure. But what do you do when you are faced with those types of situations and you know, you're going to have to continue to see this person. It's not like you can be like, Hey, um, I don't want to have anything to do with you ever again. <laughs> like you can't do that. You're sort of, like I said before, sort of forced into proximity with sometimes with people that you don't want. So what do you do? when you're faced with people that you know you can't really resolve conflict, but they're part of your team. I'll um, talk to the unit manager. If, if, there's a, if there's a problem where I feel like a, 
uh, patients being treated poorly mm-hmm. by a, another person and I try to talk to them about it and it starts to heat up. I, I will talk to the manager about how can I go back and talk mm-hmm. to the person, not, not with the manager at first, but just what's the best way to approach this. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back and try to mend things. Mm-hmm. And if it still continues to be a problem, I'll talk to them one-on-one with the manager. Yeah. So sometimes just like a mediation or a supervision space can be really helpful, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, leadership space is really important Mm -hmm. to have good leaders. But I know for myself, I kind of try to accept that I'm just maybe not going to like this person. And I set like personal boundaries around behavior and I try to just keep it very professional Mm -hmm. and just, you know, we talk about work, we're very open with work stuff, but you know, that's kind of where it ends. It just stays as a very professional space, which is sometimes hard. I I like, I'm a fan of like deep connections, so it can be hard, but sometimes it's necessary to do that. Josh, Mm -hmm. is that something similar to what you did? Yes. There's just some situations in life that you cannot do anything about. Yes. Agreed. But you have to make the best with what hand that you're dealt with. Yes. So whether it's going to your supervisor or, you know, just accepting it. You can't, you can't force them to be a different person or to respect you, you know. Nor should we be able to really, I think. Yeah. I try to kind of think about it the opposite way. Like if they were trying to force me to be someone different, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be that happy about that because I want to be myself. That's a really good point. I've not thought about that before, Shana. Yeah. I, I just, I try to swap the situations a lot. Mm-hmm. I use that a lot. Okay. If I was this person, what might I be thinking? And even though mm-hmm. it's a thought exercise and I don't really know exactly what they would be thinking, I try to put myself in that place and it really helps shift it for me. Mm-hmm. I, I remember we worked with a nurse named Dawn. She is in my opinion, like one She's of the best, best people yeah. ever, just like not even as a nurse only, like, although she was amazing as a nurse, Just like one of the best people. I used to laugh all the time because she could set limits like nobody I'd ever met. She would go out into that unit and talk to somebody. And by the end of the conversation, they felt like the limit was their idea. Like she just (laughs) was so skilled. But I was having a really hard time with a coworker and she was driving me absolutely crazy. And I was like, I'm going to lose my shit one of these days and I'm going to get in trouble because I don't know what to do with this. And she just did what Dawn does. And she sat down there, she crossed her legs and she listened so beautifully and so attentively to everything that I had to say. And then she said like one sentence, Mm -hmm. she goes, boy, it sounds like you really understand how she feels. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. And it was just simple like that, like a snap of the finger. And I was like, oh, I really do. You never never know what is going on in other people's lives, what shoes they're they're walking in. And I was just talking to patients about this today. You know, when you have, you know, a bad interaction with somebody, sometimes you it helps to think, okay, well, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they were having an argument with somebody before they, they came in to talk to you or mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that. When I think of that, I try to try to remind myself, okay, maybe there's a reason why they're acting this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and feel it like... helps you to have a little compassion for them too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that, you know, for me, that's a big thing. Yeah. I know that leadership and authority is also a big piece of job experience and kind of culture. So I don't know if you guys know who Simon Sinek is, but he is a leadership um, author. 
He's not, he's amazing. <laughs> you should hundred percent check out his work. He does a lot of Ted talks and he's a speaker, he's a writer, and he's an expert on leadership. And he tells the story about this kid named Noah who works at the Four Seasons, which is a really nice hotel. And he was like a barista. He works at the coffee cart. And he just was like the most fun, the most engaging person ever. And he said, all I got was a cup of coffee, but it was like the best cup of coffee I had because of my interaction with this guy being the type of person that he is. He says to him, do you like your job? You know, what is this like? Because he's a leadership expert. So Noah says, I love my job. And he says, well, why? Why do you love your job? He goes, all day long, every day, leaders from everywhere around here, the bosses, it doesn't even matter. They're not even my boss. And they will come up to me and say, how are you? What do you need to do your job better? What can I do to help you? And they're not even my boss, but all day long, that's what they do. And it makes me feel so happy and supported. He also worked at another casino because he was at uh, the Four Seasons in Las Vegas. He worked at, I believe it was Caesar's Palace. At Caesar's Palace, he just kept his head down. He did his work because he said he felt like the leadership was constantly just looking for things they were doing wrong. And he's like, I just go, I do my shift. I don't talk. I just kind of do my thing. He recognized what Simon recognized was the culture and the leadership of the space mm. that you work in produces either the Noah at the Four Seasons or the Noah at Caesar's Palace. Same person, but the culture and the leadership and mm -hmm. the way that people are approached are so telling of which piece of you is going to show up. Yes. I have found that to be true when we moved from our small community hospital and we got taken over by a large hospital the culture definitely changed. I know I changed. I felt different about how I was going to work every day and how I showed up and how meaningful my work was. And I just think it really shapes our experience at work. So how do you guys think that your direct leaders or your organization's culture impact your ability to perform your job well? I think... And you guys know, depending on who was the charge nurse or running the shift had a big impact on like the three of us, like, how are you going to do your job? You know, uh, is this person going to make you do it this way or that way or be confrontational where you wouldn't be confrontational and all that sort of thing. And I think one of the things the three of us did well was um, we didn't ask the charge nurse permission for different things. <laughs> we would just go in and manage it mm -hmm. and manage it smoothly. And it would be like a, a really positive outcome for the patient and they say do it now ask for forgiveness later you know that, that was yeah. me yes yeah. yes yes it's better to ask for permission or for forgiveness than permission yes, yes that was oh, that's my yes. philosophy that's what it is. Mm -hmm. sorry so we'd just go out and manage it and come back in and nine times out of ten the person would just say wow you guys did a really good job and we, we would like think yes we are or if we calmed it down the person said you fed into something you know, we would just oh, be like, oh, yeah, we would just be like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. We fit into it. And yeah. then we go back out in the unit and chuckle with each other and continue yeah. to run the unit but, the way we wanted it run. And then Melissa would say, but look at well, you could just say thank you. Yeah. <laughs> or or we go in the nurse's station and things bedlam to be quiet. Right. And we would just say, listen, you're, you're welcome. welcome. Yes. <laughs> but look at what we did. Look at how we managed mm -hmm. it. Yes. And for me, I think it's similar to what you were saying, Shana. Mm -hmm. And I can see it now with the new company 
coming in. You know, Vibra was sort of, yes, we were run by a corporate company, but because we were our own unit and the main company was out in Worcester, we were sort of our own entity where we had to, we had create creativity to do things that we thought were appropriate for the patients mm-hmm. and, you know, in our own way. Now we have this new corporate people coming in and they're saying, no, you can't, can't do it this way. This is our way. And, you know, seeing that things are starting to butt heads and yeah. the, unfortunately the, it's uh, the quality we're hoping it doesn't go downhill, but it's starting to, it's changing. And, you know, I think the bigger a corporation or organization is, the further away from the ground floor are the people who are making decisions. Mm-hmm. The further you are away from the people who are really running your business, which is these employees on the ground floor treating patients or, you know, in the store, right. wherever they are, these, these people who are running your everyday space, you have to be very intentional about making sure you understand who they are, what they need, what it really looks like there, or what ends up happening is they just write a bunch of memos. They're like, oh, this would be a smart business move. Let's just do this instead. Or this would be, you know, this reduces risk or liability. So let's do this, even though they don't recognize that what happens on the ground floor significantly impacts your ability to do your job well. We did, we did a lot of movement of things to reduce risk. And oftentimes I feel like profit and liability are the things that run bigger businesses. And for the, the people at the top, it does seem like that's the thing that ha- is really important to them because they're not paying attention to what the people are doing at the bottom. These are the people who are running your business for you. Mm-hmm. Without us, without the patients, you don't have a business. And so I really feel like that's something that impacts my ability when I go to work. If I feel like they don't care about me or I'm just a number, I feel cut off from my ability to really impact people the way that I Mm -hmm. want to, because I want to feel like I'm walking into a space and making a difference. And I know that you guys have similar feelings about that too. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's, it's tough when you feel like your organization has very different values than you do. I feel like the one of the more frustrating things that we're running into now is my, my boss is great, right? At the old place, it would be, you know, oh, you need something, we'll go and get it for you. You know, we'll find a way to, to make it happen. Yes. This place, we've got a budget. We've, we've already gotten X, Y, and Z for you. Mm-hmm. And that's where it feels like sometimes profit is put before people. Yeah. Yeah. And it really has to be the opposite way. I feel like this is... I think this might be kind of pervasive in all types of service industries, but I feel it really strongly in mental health. And it feels like it's getting a little bit worse in particularly vulnerable populations, like people who have mental health issues, people who have special needs, people who are elderly. Mm -hmm. When we look at care, these care services, the organizations are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the people on the ground floor are really suffering. I feel like there's like a cookie cutter mold out there for mental health. Yes. And or, or, or people in the corporate world that think, oh, this is this is how we run things. Mm-hmm. So it has to work the same for every little everything, you know, and it doesn't. You don't run an adolescent unit the same way you run an adult. You don't no. run a geri mm-hmm. psych unit the way 
the same way you run, you know, an adult unit. And I mean, for that, you don't choose the same intervention for each patient. Yes. They're very different. They're very different. What works for one person is not going to work for the next person. And you can't cookie cutter that, Mm -hmm. you were saying. It's always harder, I think, when you're trying to make rules for a larger population of people because you want everyone to fit in the same box, but they just don't. And I think for me, when I was working on the unit, and I think you guys both illustrate this beautifully is we need freedom and the ability to to intervene with people Mm -hmm. in a way that's effective because we can't meet someone the same way every time you can't and you know the first piece of advice i was given in my first psychiatric job was meet people where they're at just meet people where they're at yes and and you you can't put that in a mold because you have to meet people where they're at. They're very different. They respond very differently to different interventions. Mm-hmm. There are some people that are going to go with DBT and work really well with it. And there are going to be some people that are just curmudgeons and they want to believe it doesn't work when it does. <clears throat> and you, you have to go with that. You have to talk to people differently yes. depending on who they are. Yes. And so the more restrictions and the more structure that they put around us in that space, the less freedom we have to really impact someone's life Mm -hmm. because that's essentially what we're attempting to do. Every time I do a podcast episode, I put a little Facebook question out. So the question that I put this week was, what can make or break your relationship with a coworker? It was kind of interesting. There were mostly themes and everything was negative. Almost everything was negative, which I... I don't think is abnormal, but it's interesting because it could have been like, what are the positive things? But mostly everyone wanted to tell me like the really difficult things that happened and often had to do with trust, which, you know, we've kind of talked about a little bit. So Teresa O said, honesty, I want the truth. I hate when I know they're lying. Melissa J said, eating my lunch. So <laughs> I do hate when people swipe that, things. That's a deal know? breaker. Yes. You're done. Oh. Steal my lunch. <laughs> We're donezies. Oh my God. For me, it's when somebody comes up to me and says, so-and-so saying this about you. Oh. And I'm like, if they had the good graces to say that behind my back, can you please Gossip. leave it there? Yep. And yes, I will kill the messenger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Michael E said constant negative energy, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because I do find energy in the workplace to be really important. Do you guys, how do you deal with negative energy or people who are like in a negative space or maybe people who aren't usually in a negative space, but now are, I know I, that's happened a couple of times to me. I like to imagine myself as like Teflon. Mm. Oh, good one. DBT. Let it, let it slide. Yes. No DBT thing. Yeah. Love that. I am so. Teflon. No. Yeah. I thought you didn't know anything about DBT. Oh, I used to say that at work. I am Teflon. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely think that, especially, you know, we've talked a little bit about leadership and how important it is for people in a leadership role to have a good energy about them Mm -hmm. and and to be good leaders. And so certainly people in a leadership space, if you're in a negative space, Mm -hmm. that can tank the whole team. It, I've seen that happen. Yes. That can happen. Mm-hmm. But it, if you meet people where they're at, including your coworkers, for me, I would go back out onto the unit and try to work a little bit harder or, or try to pick up what the person is unable to pick up. And, mm-hmm. and it's not just because they're toxic all the time, but they might just be having a bad day and they can't be 100%. I try to go out in the unit and be 125% so that person can have their bad day and the patients still get really good care. 
Yeah. Teamwork is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. I know one of the things that we talked a lot about, and you know, I don't know if this is more specifically in psych, but I think it actually can overlap with a lot of other service Mm -hmm. industries is the idea of like removing the target. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you might be spent if we've had patients that were like, would just jump on every nerve you had until you had nothing left. And you had to like remove people from that space and step in. And you would have to cycle out (laughs) just to get a break. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had a coworker who I loved him and he was a really good charge nurse, but we had a really hard patient and she was, she found every single soft spot, every trigger and every person and just knew exactly how to push it. And he was like, so angry. (laughs) He was like yelling at her in the hallway and I'm like pulling him (laughs) into the back going, you will stay back here for the rest of the shift. And he's like, I will not. She's not going to run. I'm like, yes, you will. Because if you don't, you're going to get fired and maybe go to jail. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So when you have someone who moves into that like negative energy space, I think you're absolutely right, mm-hmm. Melissa, when you say like you have to kind of step in. And that's the beauty of having a good team yes. is that you have someone that can recognize, mm, I think you're done. Mm-hmm. And you let me take over. I will handle this. You stay here we'll kind of get into that space. But what do you do when it's constant? That's that's a tough one. I think that might kind of fall a little bit, Josh, into what you were saying of like, sometimes you just can't, you can't force people to be other people. Right. And so you have to put your little Teflon armor on, right? And just you, you stay professional. To, you have to accept it. You have to take advantage of what you have available to you you know, if you have another coworker that you can, you know, talk to a vent mm-hmm. to or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. And God knows we three of us had that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Our last comment that I thought was really interesting was from Johnny H. And he said, poor work ethic. Oh, yeah. And he, mm. he, oh. he had a very long explanation of like some things that had happened at work. Clearly, he was having issues with people not stepping up to do their part. Mm-hmm. And certainly when you work in a team... You need to have people that step up. Is this something that you've had to deal with before? People not having good work ethic or just not doing their piece in the way that they should? And how do you manage it? I'm not a big one to grumble about people behind their back, but I I think on those occasions, I would probably grab either you or Josh or a really good, (laughs) this fantastic nurse we worked with, her name was Sandy, and have a conversation about it. And it could be that the person has a poor work ethic, or it could be that in the moment, I think they have a poor work ethic. And we just talk about it. I mean, this, you can't make somebody be what they aren't. It's, it's, it's futile, and it's just going gonna to make you frustrated. Mm-hmm. If you're going to spend eight hours thinking about how somebody should be, you're going to leave that shift drained and angry mm-hmm. and that type of thing. So I like to come in and just accept people for who they are and understand that they're not going to do their job and that's okay, to feel like they're going to do the job I think they should do is not going to happen. So I'm not, I'm going to let that roll off my back. I'm going to meet them where they're at and let it roll off my back and probably reshift my strategy of how I'm going to manage a psychiatric unit. It's interesting because it kind of piggybacks a little bit on what you were talking about with interpersonal relationships and interpersonal Mm -hmm. skills is like, do you meet that person and say, listen, you're not pulling your weight you know, get your shit together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like you can't walk up and say that even if you want to, but, but that might be a space that you can't resolve or going to supervision, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. 
But I definitely think it has to kind of come from you first. You definitely have to find that space inside yourself. And I try to ask myself, what piece of me is being triggered by this? Or what is it that's happening in me that is making me feel so angry? Because if I'm having an emotional reaction to someone else or large emotions about things, I know that there's something else. There's something deeper for me. And I try to kind of acknowledge that space. And then I might go to the boss and be like, listen, (laughs) but I try always to be like, what, what's happening for me in this space? I try to look at it as there's, there's two ways you can go with this, right? Kind of like a fork in the road. You can go to like rejection or ignoring it Mm -hmm. or acceptance in and dealing with it, you know, look what, what happens if you ignore it. The problem is not going to get resolved, right? Or it's going to get bigger, or yeah. you know, it's just going to get worse over time, right? Well, you might have another negative interaction with mm-hmm. that with that coworker, and you're going to get. I, I've seen, and you've probably all seen it too. You've seen nurses or counselors get into fights with each other in in the back room. <laughs> I would never do that. No, no, no. no I'm saying not saying any I of would us. Never. I would sit in the conference room for 45 yeah. minutes having a conversation with somebody that I had a conflict with and not be on the unit and make everyone else mad. I would never do something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've had you you know where I'm getting at. There. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just want to thank you both for being here. Thank you. I definitely feel like you are two of the best coworkers that I have ever had. Thank you. We did a really good job together. We did such good work. We helped so many people. For me, this laid the foundation for a lot of my life and my career was meeting you both and learning how to help people, how to be there, how to communicate. And I attribute a lot of that to, you know, the decade plus time that I had working with you both. I learned so much about how to be a human how to have compassion and how to really meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And I just want to take this time to say, I so appreciate both of you. Thank you so much for everything that you brought to my life because it's huge. Thank you. We feel the same way about you. I do. I have to say, Shana, when I first met you, you taught me a a different way of of looking at things like from like a naturalistic point of view. (laughs) And I I know I wasn't open to that Mm -hmm. at first, but, I appreciate your, your persistence. Well, thank you. I I definitely think that this is the type of relationship. Like if, like, I think that we are coworkers, but we're friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that these are the type of relationships where we, as the three of us are greater than the sum of our parts. Definitely. And we made each other better and we met each other better, even in hard times. And it was definitely the best working space I've ever been in. So thank you both for being here. Thank you listeners for being here with us. And remember we're here every Monday. Can't wait to hear more about what you think about these types of episodes. We have some awesome ones coming up. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and share these episodes. Once again, be well. If you want to share your experience, write a comment or contact us on Instagram at relationfixpod or email us at relationfixpodcast at gmail.com and tell us about it. All this information will be available in the show notes as well. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and share it with your loved ones. 